Hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Hewitt and welcome to the Conservative Voice Show, your place for honest, controversial, and the hottest in political conversations. So what's up Patriots and welcome back to the Conservative Voice Show. I hope that your Wednesday is going well. A lot of things to go over today and again it's at night, and I apologize, the day shift and night shift rotation is just terrible, and I hate it, and it forces me to do the show when I don't want to do it, but nonetheless, we have a boatload of things to go over today. So, there are things breaking across the country, internationally, across Capitol Hill, and just all over. From Mitch proposing his new $2,000 stimulus bill today, Biden saying that he's going to use the DOJ to crack down on police across the country, a new strain of COVID that apparently has made its way to the United States is making its debut, Nancy's prospects of holding on to speakership, and America providing Iran a bit of assurance. All of that and some more on today's show. All right, but before we get started, it is with a heavy, heavy heart and with sadness that I tell you that that Louisiana and America have lost a great warrior today. Congressman-elect elect Luke Letlow has passed due to COVID-19 related symptoms. In a report from Melonia's Anon, reporting from Politico, Representative-elect Luke Letlow has died from coronavirus, multiple sources confirmed, Tuesday evening. He was 41. Letlow, who announced on December 18th that he tested positive for COVID-19, had been in an intensive care unit at Oshner's LSU Health in, Sh- in Shreveport. The family appreciates the numerous prayers and support over the past few days, but asked for privacy during this difficult and unexpected time. The family said in a statement that was first reported by Monroe News Star, a statement from the family along with funeral arrangements will be announced at a later time. Whitlow, who served as Chief of Staff to former Representative Ralph Abraham before being elected to fill that seat, was supposed to be sworn into Congress on Sunday. He is the first member of member or member-elect to die from the coronavirus, though dozens of lawmakers have tested positive over the past year. The entire Louisiana delegation, led by House Minority Whip Steve Scalise, issued a joint statement offering their condolences. Luke had such a positive spirit and tremendously bright future ahead of him. He was looking forward to serving the people of Louisiana in Congress, And we were excited to welcome him to our delegation, where he was ready to make an even greater impact on our state and our nation, the statement said. More than anything, Luke was a loving husband, father, brother, and son, and his family, like so many others who have been affected by this evil disease, need our prayers. And so, tons of other people, the governor, John Bell Edwards, offered his condolences. Even Nancy Pelosi herself paid him tribute, saying, Congressman-elect, Letlow was a ninth-generation Louisianan who fought passionately for his point of view and dedicated his life to public service. As the House grieves Congressman-elect Letlow's passing, our sorrow is compounded by the grief of so many other families who have also suffered lives cut short by this terrible virus. May it be a comfort to Luke's wife, Julia, and their children, Jeremiah and Jacqueline, that so many mourn their loss and are praying praying for them at this sad time. 
So this is incredibly sad news for Louisianians that just voted him into office, for Americans who lost a great warrior to their freedoms, and more importantly to his family who, like it, like it said, has lost a father, husband, son, and brother. And I hope, and I hope that all of you listening hope that his family and friends are granted some peace in their grieving as they try to understand and process everything that is going on. So, all right, guys, I know that was a really, really sad way to start the show, but I think we would all be remiss if we did, didn't pay him some form of recognition and his passing and just remembering him. But let's get the show on the road and let's start out with good old Cocaine Mitch, right? So, um, Cocaine Mitch, Senator Leader Mitch McConnell, Senator Mitch McConnell, Mitch, whatever you call him. Well, he proposed a bill containing the $2,000 stimulus. But the Democrats, let me tell you, are not going to like it. Like, at all. Like, absolutely 0% chance. And there's 0% chance that it's going to pass because I don't think a single Democrat's going to vote for it. Right? And if it passes somehow in the Senate, because of the Republican majority in the Senate, the chance of it passing the House is, well, like, let's put it this way. A mosquito has a better chance of surviving one of those, like, zap lanterns than this bill has of passing in the House. So why will the Democrats not be behind this? Like, weren't they just saying they wanted $2,000 paychecks to everybody? Well, here we go. And let's jump into it, right? So in a report from Tyler Olson, reporting with Fox News, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell on Tuesday introduced his own version of a bill to increase the $600 stimulus from the coronavirus relief package to $2,000, but also included two other major priorities for President Trump. The legislation would also repeal Section 230, the controversial liability protection for online platforms, and create a Committee on Election Assistance Commission to study election integrity. McConnell set the table for the bill to address these three issues in his floor remarks Tuesday. During this process, the president highlighted three additional issues of national significance he would like to see Congress tackle together, McConnell said, before listing off the president's grievances about the amount of stimulus payment, Section 230, and the election. Those are the three important subjects the president has linked together, McConnell said. This week, the Senate will begin a process to, be, to bring these three priorities into focus. And so that like that is really why. Like what does it all mean? So one, honestly, like we all know, and you all know if you've watched my show over the last week, I'm not in favor of two thousand dollar stimulus checks for anyone. I think that what they're trying to do is it is a very, very smart decision by Republicans. If the Democrats block the bill, then the Republicans say, well, I, we tried to give the American people what they wanted, but the Democrats wouldn't pass it. And they would say, but the Democrats cared more about saving big tech companies and saving the election fraud than they do about the American people. So it kind of throws it back in the Democrats' ballpark that, okay, we'll be willing to settle for $2,000 in stimulus if you repeal those stupid protections for the now publishers like Facebook, Instagram, and all the other big techs like Google, and you assign a commission to investigate what we believe has been widespread voter fraud and voter fraud going forward 
then we'll be willing to give the American people $2,000. But if not, then you are prioritizing these other two political ideas over the $2,000 relief for Americans, right? And so I, I guess I can see where the Republicans are coming from. It kind of goes, cuts against what I've been kind of saying, is I'm not a belief of packing a bunch of stuff into a bill. But I don't think that just having three very enumerated and keynoted ideas or things to vote on inside a bill really convolutes it that much, especially when you're thinking that the COVID relief bill and the omnibus bill were over almost or were over 5,000 pages coming up on nearly 6,000 pages, right? So you can, I don't think that those three items that the president wants addressed is that much to vote on. But I will stand by what I said and what, what Dan Crenshaw said. Like, I'm seeing all over Facebook, too. Like, kind of on an off-topic note, but still on the note of, like, um, coronavirus, like, relief, is that Dan Crenshaw has somehow betrayed the American people. If you all watched the show a few days ago, you have where Dan Crenshaw and I agree on the idea that coronavirus relief in the effects of $2,000 should not be given to every single American. Like that is not good for American finance. It's not good for the burden it'll put on the taxpayer. It's not good for a lot of reasons, right? But you're seeing a lot of these GOP members, Republicans, very far right-wing Republicans, moderate Democrats, everybody attacking him for saying it, for just doing what is, what we can ultimately say is best for the Americans, right? I can think I would be even more, and I think all of you could be even more on top of the idea of $2,000 stimulus to everybody, if it was more selective on who it gave that $2,000 to rather than blanketing everybody inside of it. But nonetheless, that is what Congress has brought. And this is the bill that Mitch McConnell has brought in contrast to that just blanket $2,000 without any stipulations passed by Congress. So we'll see how that goes in the coming up days. But speaking of Democrats and Remember when, like a few months ago, everyone thought Joe Biden was just going to lay down and just kind of let the radicals inside his party control him? Well, that's exactly what ha- what's happening, right? So Joe Biden is about to like backtrack into like Obama-era policy, which is really funny when he tries to say that he's not a second Obama administration, right? Or a third Obama administration, I should say. And that he's not doing the same thing that Obama did, except for that he's his cabinet is full of a bunch of Obama administration washouts and a bunch of former Obama administration like appointees. Well, now we're going even farther is that we're going to establish some Obama era uh, policies moving forward inside the Obama, I'm sorry, the Biden administration. So, according to Adam Shaw, right, reporting for Fox News, Biden to use DOJ to crack down on the police departments engaged in systematic misconduct. Okay, let's just, that's the headline. Let's just pause right there for a second. So, in order for something to be systematic, what, what that alleges is that the system itself, right, the system itself is inherently racist. And that is a systematic racist or systematic misconduct that everybody says to it, right? And I, and for that to occur, that what you're insinuating or what you're alluding to is the fact that the system itself is racist. 
Like, we can all agree that there are racist people in the world. But to say that the system itself is racist is absolutely false, and there's no evidence that supports that, right? So the fact that Biden is saying that he's going to crack down or use the DOJ to crack down on police departments, encourage and engage in systematic misconduct, what he actually means is he's going to use the DOJ to crack down on police departments that don't bend to his will and police the way that he wants it to be policed, right? That's what it actually means, right? Or police departments that do not bend to the woke culture or police departments that do not allow their officers to get shot by minorities or people that, or police departments that support their law enforcement officers when they make a justified shooting of a minority. Well, that is clearly evidence of systematic misconduct. And that is, that is what he actually means because the proof that, or the evidence that suggests that the entire like justice system is systematically racist would be suggested that the DOJ itself is systematically racist. And so now you're going to use this systematic DO, racist DOJ to crack down on systematic misconduct from other law enforcement agencies, which makes absolutely zero sense. Anyway, here's what the article says. We'll continue. President-elect Joe Biden will use the Justice Department to crack down on police departments allegedly engaged in systematic misconduct and part of the use of consent decrees, a tool used regularly by the Obama administration, but largely, largely scrapped under President Trump. Biden's campaign website promises that he will expand and use the power of the U.S. Justice Department to address systematic misconduct in police departments and prosecutors' offices. Specifically, it notes that the Obama administration used both pattern or practice investigations and consent decrees to address misconduct in places like Ferguson, Missouri, which erupted in riots and violence after the death of Michael Brown in 2014. Okay, let's, let's just pause there for another second. So if you don't know what DOJ consent decrees are, well, they were set up after the 1992 Rodney King riots in LA, and they pretty much allowed DOJ's Civil Rights Division to sue police forces found to have a pattern and practice of violating rights. But what I think is really, really funny is it uses the misconduct in places like Ferguson, Missouri, which erupted in riots and violence after the death of Michael Brown in 2014. Well, in order there, for there to be like lawsuits brought or charges brought, there has to be evidence that would prove this misconduct. However, the officers, last time I checked, in Michael Brown's death were cleared of all mis of all charges and were not found guilty of anything, right? So I think that it's funny that he claims the Michael Bra or I'm sorry the Ferguson, Missouri riots as a pattern or practice of like misconduct. However, nothing was found there, right? And this is something that we've been seeing all across the nation, right? Is anytime there is a a minority that is unfortunately killed. In, by law enforcement is automatically systematically racist or is inherent evidence of a systematically racist system. However, white people are killed by law enforcement, Hispanics, Native Americans, Chinese, Asian, it doesn't matter because in all honesty, the majority of law enforcement officers are not racist and there is no pattern or practice of racism or systematic racism across the Justice Department. And this is just another, this right here is the, is the point where 
Obama 100% fueled the race war in America, right? Using the DOJ and driving that wedge, like under the Obama administration, a wedge was driven between the American people and law enforcement. And it was not on behalf of the cops. The cops were just doing their jobs. It was on behalf of the Obama administration using things like DOJ consent, DOJ consent decrees and investigations and then releasing that to the public but not releasing any of the evidence that was actually founded in those investigations to the public that fueled this separation and this distrust for law enforcement that was not valid, right? So under the former president of Barack Obama, his two attorney generals, Loretta Lynch and Eric Holder, nearly two dozen investigations were launched against various law enforcement agencies, right? And so what a lot of people don't understand is that, okay, it may be in Ferguson, Missouri, Atlanta, Georgia, or any place else across the nation that these investigations are announced. But those investigations have huge impacts nationwide on how the public perceives law enforcement across the nation. And that right there is the way that Obama fueled that race war. And it's also the reason why law enforcement widely accepted Trump is because he let the agencies take care of it. If there needed to be an investigation, there was an investigation like Trump had Trump had one of these same investigations under his administration. But he understood that the system itself is not inherently racist. There will be racist people, just like there's racist nurses, racist doctors, racist teachers, racist truck drivers, racist mail delivery drivers, racist military. You can find racists in every single, like racist people in every single career field. Does not mean that the system that they are a part of is at its core and based in its fundamentals racist. So it is going to be very, very interesting. Very, very, very interesting, I think, to see if there is another shift on how the community feels about law enforcement going into, I wouldn't say going into Biden's presidency, but after a few years of Biden's presidency, if he's elected, how it's going to, the perception of law enforcement will change. And I'm very, very curious to see on what, what these DOJ investigations and consent decrees, what effect that's going to have on law enforcement reform and what Biden's actual goal is going to be. Because for the most part, he, all he says is reform, more funding for reform, and that's all he says. So what is this reform actually going to be? Are you going to stop police from doing their job? Are you going to say that if they're presented with a situation where deadly force is necessary, that they're no longer allowed to take it, which we're kind of starting to see across is that, uh, across some agencies in the nation, right? Where officers are starting to be questioned about their use of deadly force, right? In situations that they should not be questioned about. So it'll be very, very interesting to see how all this happens going forward, right? But talking about things also that are affecting the nation across, or affecting Americans across the nation, like I said, guys, I'm sorry. It's almost 9.30. I'm a little tired. Forgive me. A new COVID strain's been found, right? In which we can all imagine what this is going to bring us. Like, we can all imagine how much Democrat governors are going to love the fact that there's a more, possibly more contagious strain of COVID-19 that they can use to uh, continue to lock down their, 
their states. Because, God forbid, should Americans actually be able to work? Like, who would have thought that 2020 would be the year where socialism is just being widely accepted by the majority of political leaders in America? Like, that... Like, <laughs> like when you think about it, like that's, that's freaking crazy. Anyway, so according to CNBC... The first case of a new and potentially more infectious strain of COVID-19 has been confirmed in the United States, Colorado health officials said Tuesday. The health officials confirmed the case and notified the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The infected individual, a man in his 20s, does not have a history of traveling and is in isolation in Elbert County, about an hour and a half south of Denver. I wonder how often he went into Denver. I think that would be a good, like a good question, right? You know, like, he may not have a history of traveling outside the country, or outside the state, but Denver's a huge hub and their airport is ginormous. I'm not too sure on what their lockdown like policies and laws are there, but I wonder how often he went to Denver and if it was caught there and how many people in Denver have it. There's a lot we don't know about this new COVID-19 variant, but scientists in the United Kingdom are warning the world that it is significantly more contagious. Alright, so right there says something to me that I think all of us can understand is it may be more contagious. But the question is, is is it more deadly? Does this new strain of COVID-19 provide higher levels of fatality? And if it does, amongst what age groups? But if not, if it, or like if not, is it just more contagious? Because if it's just more contagious, then that just means that it's going to spread through the, through the nation faster. But does it offer any other significant threats? Or does the mortality rate for it stay constant with the strain of COVID-19 that we currently have right now. And that's honestly should be the question we are all asking is, okay, I understand there's a new COVID-19 strain. What is the lethality of it? And who does it affect? If it affects the exact same people that it does, that the current COVID strain does, just at a more contagious rate, we need to continue to protect the vulnerable population to COVID-19, right? And put the rest of Americans back to work and if they get it at a faster rate, then they get it at a faster rate. However, they're going to recover from it. Or on the flip side of that coin, is this new strain both more contagious and more lethal? And if that is the case, then we need to take a look at it and figure out how we're going to address that issue. But what I'm more concerned with is what is the politicized answer going to be? What are politicians going to do with this new information? Are they going to take it, take it into consideration in their public policy making? Or are they going to have some knee-jerk, just ridiculous tin can dictatorship reaction and just continue to lock down their cities and continue to keep Americans out of work, continue to put the economic hardship on Americans, continue to put the mental hardships on Americans that so many are feeling across the nation? Or will we be able to go back to normal? It will be very, very interesting to um, see what they say. According to CNBC, preliminary analysis of the mutated strain first identified in the UK suggests it may be the culprit behind Britain's recent spike in cases. The new strain referred to as SARS-CoV-2 VUI 2020-12-01 could be as much as 70% more transmissible, transmissible. British Prime Minister... Boris Johnson said. The CDC said in December that the new strain could already be circulating in the U.S. without notice. 
The CDC cited ongoing travel between the UK and the US as an explanation for potential arrival of the new variant. So here's, like I said, that doesn't really give us much information. Okay, it's 70% more transmissible, but just because there's been a recent spike in cases does not mean that there's been necessarily a recent spike in fatality rates. Like That is what everybody misses, is there is a spike in flu cases every single year. But does that spike in flu cases result in a spike in the flu mortality rate? If it doesn't, then that just means more people are getting sick and more people are recovering, which is ultimately what we want. Ultimately, the more people who get who get it and recover from the virus, the more antibodies there are out there for the virus and people start to begin like build some form of immunity to it. And that's ultimately what we want. And it'll be, like I said, interesting to see how these dictators go moving forward with it. And if they're going to use this to continue continue the lockdowns in their country, which I think we can all, like, if I was a betting man, I'd roll the dice right now and say that um, they will. Or, yeah, 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 there's no question. They will. Like, I can only, I can only imagine Andrew Cuomo in New York City, what he's thinking right now, as he like sits there like with like the evil fingers and the evil laugh, like ha 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 right? Like then he's just gonna keep his city locked down forever, turn it into a socialist country of New York, and then freaking never let anybody go back to work again and depend on the government. Like that's the only thing that I see happening anytime in the near future in New York. But we shall see, and I think that'll be interesting to see. I'll tell you guys if you. Our world is vulnerable population. Stay home. Get the vaccine when you can. And just stay safe. For all of us young conservatives on here, go back to work. Go back to your life as legally as you can. And then just enjoy it. You're not at risk. Or you're not at an inherent risk of dying as long as you have no underlying health conditions. And that's ultimately what we want. We want a form of normality back to America. All right. So leaving COVID we're going to go into something that I think is actually kind of funny. Like, can we imagine if the Grim Reaper Nancy Pelosi ever got lost her speakership? Well, 2020 might be the year, right? 2020 might be the year, sorry, 2021 might be the year that Nancy Pelosi does not maintain her speakership, which God, we could only be so lucky. Well, I, you know, I say that, but I'm not sure about that anymore. Like, like could you imagine like, the likes of, like, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, AOC, like, any of them becoming the speaker. So opening these the speakership up for a new one is kind of dangerous, but God, how nice it would be to get Nancy Pelosi out of there and somebody more conservative in, in, in her place. But according to Lauren Fox and Alex Rogers with CNN, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's margin for error is slim on Sunday when lawmakers return to Washington to officially usher in a new session of Congress and elect their new speaker. Here, here's the part, guys. What, this next sentence that I'm going to tell you is probably the most indicative of a problem inside the House, but if I've ever heard of one, and one indicative of politics across the country. After serving 17 years as Democrats' leader, Pelosi is running unopposed. You're telling me there ain't a single damn person inside the House that wants to be the Speaker. 
You're telling me there's not a single damn one of them. Also, you're telling me that she has been able to somehow maintain speakership for 17 years. How much has changed in 17 years? Like, right? Like, how much in America has changed in 17 years that the exact same person is leading the Democrat Party? That's crazy. And don't get me wrong. Same with Mitch McConnell. I may like him, but there comes a time there has to be a switch, right? Like, that's why we have elections. Anyway. But the looming threat of coronavirus paired with the Democrats' smallest majority in decades means Pelosi and her deputies are carefully counting votes to ensure she can avoid any embarrassment on the House floor. She's very aware. If Nancy can do anything, it is that she knows how to count votes. Well, that's because she doesn't know how to do anything else, right? She's counting every vote. Unlike, um, well, she's counting every vote, just not every legal vote, right? Said, like... Anyway, I don't want to butcher what he's uh, what the representatives act from Dem- from Virginia actually said. So I'm going to reread that line without my like interjections because I don't want to. That's not his exact quote, but that's just mine. Anyway, here's what he said. She's very aware. If Nancy can do anything, it is that she knows how to count. She's counting every vote, said Representative Jay Connolly, a Democrat from Virginia. She's very aware of the fact that a slim majority, with some members who voted against her two years ago. This is going to have to be an effort to persuade them, and that was then, and this is now. We cannot afford to have uncertainty about the speakership. And this is very, very true. Like I've said over the last few months or so, there is a huge problem inside the House right now. Just the battle between progressives, moderates, and just pulling at the strings of the Democratic Party, right? And Nancy Pelosi is at the head of that, trying to hold it all together. And so people like progressives who may not agree with her that believe that she's too moderate or she's too conservative may not vote for her. Those conservatives and moderates that believe that she's too progressive may not vote for her because there's no, in all honesty, and just to put it as straight right as as I can, there's no continuity in the Democrat Party inside the House of Representatives. There's absolutely none. You have opposing ideologies in there. You have people like AOC who's constantly backlashing her party you have the squad who backs her all the time you have the moderates that believe that the progressives are the reasons why the house majority house majority shrunk this year and then at the head of all of that you have the grim reaper herself nancy pelosi who's like well guys it'll be okay just just calm down just calm down i'll give you all cookies and everything will be okay we're go- we got this even though we lost dozens of seats because of my piss poor management of the party, my piss poor leadership of the party, my piss poor ne- negotiations when it comes to compromising with Republicans, it's okay. I will give you all a cookie, sit down, and we'll be okay. And that's what's going on inside the House, right? And so on Monday, Pelosi's office sent requests, and this right here is the sh- like 100% the proof that Nancy is scared about the speakership vote. On Monday, Pelosi's office sent requests to chief of staff in Democratic offices across the Hill, inquiring whether their bosses would be physically present for the vote. In order to win the vote, speak, win the speakership, a member must receive at least 50% of the vote, plus one. All members who vote must be in D.C. in person because the vote of the speaker will occur before the House passes the rules package containing the provisions that have allowed Democrats to vote by proxy for months. So it's kind of like those, that like statement like, if your boss has to tell you that he's your boss, he's probably not a good boss. If a speaker has to reach out to 
members of her own party to see if they're going to be there to vote for her. Probably means that they're not going to be there to vote for her and that she's worried, right? So that is 100% indicative that Nancy is very, very, very worried about that. Aides estimate Pelosi will have a roughly 10-vote margin, depending on if an outstanding congressional race in New York is called by Sunday. That means she can afford to lose just a handful of members from across the ideological spectrum. In 2018, there were 15 Democrats who did not vote for her as Speaker. Ten of them are returning. Okay, so right there, guys. CNN, for being as crappy as they are, they, they really show, like, being partisan right now, they kind of suck in that because they're not holding Pelosi up very well. So, in 2018, there were 15 Democrats who did not vote for her as Speaker. Ten of them are returning. Well, if those 10 don't vote for her, she only has a 10-vote margin, right? Which means she can only afford to lose 10 votes. That means if one more person votes against her, right, that she will lose the speakership. Or at least we would assume that, right? Well, we'd have to find out how it's going to happen since she has to win 50, 50% plus one to maintain speakership if she ran unopposed. So it'd be interesting to see how that toss-up went. But 10 of those people who did not vote for her are returning. And like I said, she only has a 10-vote margin. And Michigan Representative Elisa Slotkin and Maine Representative Jared Golden have said they do not plan on voting for Pelosi. A handful of other moderate Democrats, including Virginia Representative Abigail Spanberger and a few progressives, including Representative-elect Cory Bush of Missouri and Jamal Bowman of New York, have declined to say how they would vote. One Democratic member, Representative Gwen Moore of Wisconsin, announced she tested positive for COVID earlier this week, and Pelosi's deputies are also concerned about other members might not be present due to underlying health issues. So, pretty much, she has to have 50% plus one of all the... 50% plus one of the votes in order to maintain speakership. However, that 10-vote margin, then these other two, these other representatives said they're not going to vote for them, and then... In order to vote, you have to be there in person, and now you have people like Gwen Moore of Wisconsin that has tested positive, which means that she cannot be there in person for the vote, which means she's not, she doesn't get a vote. So all of these are compounding, right, into the fact there's a, a possibility that Nancy Pelosi is not the Speaker of the House in 2021, which would be a godsend from every single buddy, of, like from God above, if she's not, it, the question... That remains is that if she's not, who's going to take the head of the snake, right? Because that's always a a concern. Just like when you deal with like drug cartels and things like that, you may kill the leader, but there's always going to be another leader that we would assume is going to be just as progressive and just as terrible at leading as she is, right? And so that's the question: is is the the alternatives to Nancy Pelosi are they better than what we have right now? So we'll see come the start of the year um, if Nancy Pelosi holds it and we'll be monitoring what's going on inside the House very, very closely in the upcoming days to see if any other representatives defect from voting for Pelosi. All right, guys. And probably what I think is the most important news of today, like everyone else is going to say that like the stimulus is the most important news, the COVID strain, Nancy Pelosi, all of those, right? But... I don't believe that. The most important news of today is definitely coming from Politico. It's definitely coming from the 
Defense Department saying that a U.S. bomber mission over Persian Gulf is aiming at cautioning Iran. Because we are going from a administration that has been one of deterrents and projecting military might across the world to a what is going to be seen as the third generation, the third administration of an of a group of people who have routinely gone lackluster on like national defense and deterrence and things like that. Over the eight years that Obama was in office, he let the enemies of America walk all over us with no deterrence. Hence why we, the terrible, terrible things that happened in the Middle East continued, why we have not been able to pull out, why so many enemies of the state were allowed to get away with so many terrible, terrible things, like terrorist attacks across the world, Paris, you name it, right? Was, I wouldn't say Paris. Sorry, forgive me. That one's wrong. Forgive me. Let me back up. Just the fact that you had a enemy and terrorist that expanded under the Obama administration. You saw the the like foundation and forming of ISIS and ISIS under the Obama administration. All of that happened because of the administration's lack of like deterrence as the best means of like diplomacy. You get what I'm saying? So you can either have, well, we'll cater to you if you just give me what I want. So I'll give you millions and millions of dollars if you just stop your nuclear program. Yes, because Iran 100% stopped their nuclear program when we gave them millions and millions of dollars. No, you know what they did? That millions and millions of dollars they took, then laughed at America, and then dropped that millions of dollars into their nuclear program. Hence why they are refining uranium at an exponential rate, right? Anyway, the United States flew strategic bombers over the Persian Gulf on Wednesday for the second time this month as a show of force meant to deter Iran from attacking American or allied targets in the Middle East. One senior U.S. military officer said the flight by two Air Force B-52 bombers was in response to signals that Iran may be planning attacks against U.S. allied targets in neighboring Iraq or elsewhere in the region in the coming days, even as President-elect Joe Biden prepares to take office. While he's, they're doing that while he prepares to take office because they know that the likelihood that he is going to take any form of strong-handed repercussions is almost like zero. And if it's not zero, it's highly unlikely. The officer was not authorized to publicly discuss internal assessments based on sensitive intelligence and spoke on the condition of anonymity. Anonymity, sorry, I can never say that word. The B-52 bomber mission flown round trip from an Air Force base in North Dakota reflects growing concerns in Washington in the final weeks of President Donald Trump's administration that Iran will order further military retaliation for the U.S. killing last January 3rd of top Iranian military commander General Qasem Soleimani. Soleimani. Iran's initial response five days after the deadly U.S. drone strike was a ballistic missile attack on a military base in Iraq that caused brain concussion injuries to about 100 U.S. troops. Iran, however, has appeared wary of Trump's, Trump's intentions in his final weeks in office, given his focus on pressuring Tehran with sanctions over 
and other moves that have further damaged the Islamic Republic's economy. Adding to the tension was a December 20th rocket attack on the U.S. Embassy compound in Baghdad by Iranian-supported Shiite militia groups. No one was killed, but the volume of rockets fired, possibly 21, with about nine landing on the embassy compound, was unusually large. Days later, Trump tweeted the Iran was on notice. Some friendly health advice to Iran. If one American is killed, I will hold Iran responsible. Think it over. God. You know, if nothing else that Trump's remembered for, he will definitely be remembered for his use of social media and just banter that he has in, like, responding to uh, other foreign dignitaries. Like, it's absolutely... Like, I think that's, that's hilarious. Yeah, well, you can do that, but think it over because will completely destroy your country if you kill an American. That is what I like, you know? And so this is huge, right? Because you have the the potential that a transition into a, a Biden presidency is coming, sitting on the, well, I wouldn't say sitting, but is looming over the date that we killed a beloved general of theirs. And so if Iran believes that Biden will not take a response to a military action taken by Iran and that they will just try to find some other diplomatic solution rather than deterrence, it is very, very clear to see why we could be seeing those signals and that evidence and the intelligence that Iran may be starting to prepare or maybe signaling that they're going to attack Americans ab abroad, right? Because if they believe they can get away with it, why would they not? They're very, very upset. They've been very upset about the killing of General Soleimani. And so the transition of a presidency is a prime time to do that. And so this is something I think we all need to be watching very close, thinking about our brothers and sisters that are deployed overseas, making sure that we're maintaining um, national defenses and the defenses of our borders, things like that. That is all something that we should be thinking about, along with everything else that Americans are under pressure for. COVID, the election, now you add Iran on top of that, everything else. And so this is of vital importance, in my opinion, that both the president administration and the incoming administration, if that is what happens on January 6th, should definitely, definitely be thinking about, right? This needs to be a top priority because the defense of Americans and protecting American lives should be the utmost importance of the government. All right, guys, so that is it for today. I think that it'll be very interesting. I can't wait to laugh about um, how the Democrats respond to Mitch's uh, new bill. I think that'll be interesting to see if Nancy Pelosi keeps the speakership. I pray to God that Biden does not follow through with what he's saying by using the DOJ to do some ridiculous crackdowns. And let's hope that that COVID strain that was found is just found to be more transmissible and not more lethal. So as always, guys, if you don't, follow me on social media. You can find me at, on my Instagram at TCVS1776. Same for my Instagram. I'm sorry, same for my Twitter. Also, guys, tomorrow, huge, huge episode. Huge, huge, huge episode. It's not going to be tomorrow. I'm sorry. It's actually going to be later today. Today is going to be a Wombo Combo Duo. So I'm recording this Wednesday night. This will release 
Thursday morning. And then at 10.30 tomorrow, I have the interview with the New Era of Republicans co-founder, Chase, where we will cover all kinds of topics from election fraud to COVID, from COVID to stimulus to where the Republican Party should go, everything that he believes what the next generation of Republicans can be thinking. You don't want to miss it. So make sure that'll be done about 10.30. And then I should probably be out sometime tomorrow around the like 2 o'clock mark Eastern Standard Time, depending on editing. So make sure if you don't already, subscribe to the show, guys. And leave me a like, leave me a comment, leave me a review. I'd love to read them. And I cannot wait to see you all tomorrow. And as always, thank you for watching the show. May God bless you. God bless your family. God bless America. And stay safe.